1: Hey everybody, it's Lon Seidman. We've been covering a lot of over-the-air cord-cutting stuff here on the channel for many years, and over and over again in my comment stream, I get people telling me, you gotta talk to the Antenna Man, you gotta talk to the Antenna Man, so okay, we're gonna talk to the Antenna Man. Joining me is Tyler, the Antenna Man, Uh, and we're gonna talk about uh, Tyler's YouTube channel, first of all and how it started but we're also going to dive into the world of over the air television and how you can get tv legally for free just by putting an antenna up and there's a lot of different choices out there for antennas and that's why the antenna man exists to help you make those decisions but first let's get to the story of the antenna man the origin story if you will so tyler first of all welcome to the channel it's great to have you here
0: yeah thanks so much for having me on
1: And talk about this channel. How did it get started? Was this like a lifelong thing of yours to try to get TV delivered to your home or or was it something more recent?
0: Yeah, this is a question that most people um, probably want to know. And I, I haven't shared yet on my YouTube channel how I got into antennas. But it started when I was five years old. I was never really a, per- a kid who played with toys. I was more of a tinkerer. I used to play with like light bulbs and light switches. <laughs> and when I was five years old, my family had this old TV from the 80s in the spare room on the ground. It wasn't connected to anything. So I plugged it in, turned it on, played with the knobs. And sure enough, I was getting local TV channels with absolutely nothing plugged in. And that completely fascinated my mind because... As far as I knew, as a five-year-old, we got TV through a cable. You know, that's what cable was for. And so I was just really fascinated by it. So what I did is I wanted to have my own TV set. I saved up money from good grades. I used to get report card money in elementary school for my grades. And when I was uh, seven years old, I got my first five-inch black-and-white TV at the same time that my family decided to move behind a mountain deep in the valley of the Poconos. So I bought the yeah, I bought a new TV, and I couldn't get, like, anything. And I was just so, like, upset about it. Like, my parents used to take me into town. I could get the TV stations there. But where my, my where my dad decided to move was, like, absolutely, even to this day, one of the worst areas for reception. So as a kid, it was a challenge to me to get in these stations. So I'd go to thrift stores and buy different TV sets because I understood tuner, TV tuner sensitivity back then. And I'd buy different antennas, too, because I noticed that some antennas – would work better for some TV stations than others. And throughout the years, I experimented, I kind of perfected what the best antenna was at my location in the analog days. And then when the digital transition took place in 2009, I lost pretty much everything, and I just assumed, okay, well, this is the end of over-the-air TV. It wasn't until a few years later that I realized that it wasn't the end, it just became more critical to get the exact right antenna. So when I was in college, go figure, I used an antenna, I actually started installing antennas locally because I, I knew exactly what to do. I used a TV tuner and you know wire and everything like that. And I was presented a lot of challenges in different areas because I used to travel to three or four different television markets to install antennas. And they were never always good. They were never it was never really good reception. It was always fair to weak. So I discovered you know in the digital era what antennas work best for certain frequencies. And I started a YouTube channel thinking it wasn't going to take off mainly to help people. And sure enough, there is a huge market for over-the-air TV. I'm up to almost 220,000 subscribers now. And I got so busy with my YouTube channel, as you know, Lon, a lot goes into the, um, a YouTube channel. Um, yes, I spend Wet like between eight <laughs> Yeah, I spend between like 8 to 10 hours a day on the channel to the point that I actually don't even install antennas locally anymore because of how busy I am with the channel. The way I see it, it's actually better for everyone because it's better that I help out millions across the country than just a select few people in my area. So that's kind of a bit of the background story about how I got into antennas and how I became the antenna man on YouTube.
1: And your channel is more than a channel because in addition to reviewing antennas and stuff, and we'll talk about this in a few minutes, you also offer a service that people can pay a small amount of money for and you give them recommendations on what to get for their particular situation, is that right?
0: Yeah, that's something um, I discovered about um, two or three years ago. Um, What happened was I got people asking me for antenna recommendations, which I didn't mind. But it got to the point I got so many antenna recommendations that it was cutting into the time I put into the YouTube channel. So I just decided to offer it as a service. And what I do with the service is I use a few websites to analyze um, reception at a person's location. Take a look at the frequencies and signal strength, and I almost tie it to an exact scenario I was in. When I installed an antenna, the challenges I had with the trees around, if they were low VHF, what specific, I kid you not, there are many times I went to a location with one or two antennas that did not work for this, so then I bought another antenna. One guy, I went back to his house at least like six or seven times, because I, I took it as a challenge. I wanted to achieve my goal. He was in such a bad signal area, but I was like, I'm not gonna give up on this guy. I need to know for myself what antenna is going to get in these channels. So spent a lot of money, a lot of experimentation, but I think I have it down to a science because, you know, I've tested out so many antennas and you know, different locations. It's almost like I can tie a person's reception report to uh, one specific or a few antenna models that will work. And, and another issue is people who are going about on their own. If you stick with the reputable, you know, antenna companies like Channel Master, Weingard, Televis, and RCA Antennas Direct... Your, your chances of success are pretty good but you still really need to understand the frequencies in your area and like what antenna to get for it and, and plus people who are just going on amazon it's flooded with so many junk antennas that are ridiculous I feel bad for I kid you not the average person who goes on a, Amazon types an HD antenna there they're destined to fail because you'll get 10 drunk junk antennas before you get one decent one
1: and you know, I think you made a good point about the differences between UHF and VHF. And in some markets, some stations are. Well, I guess now with we'll talk about ATSC three in a few minutes. But um, for the most part, you know, TV stations are either on VHF or UHF, and your type of antenna that you choose will depend on the success there, right? So some people might be better off with one antenna versus another, even at the same distance. Is that right?
0: That that's very correct. It depends on the frequencies. Now, each antenna. Has like better UHF or better VHF gain. So, in many areas, if there's only like one VHF channel, it's not too important. It's better to have an antenna with with what has more UHF gain. But if they're in an area where ABC and NBC are on the VHF band and they show up as weaker on a report, you really got to make sure you have an antenna with more VHF gain, the longer elements compared to the shorter, smaller elements. And that's the thing. It's not about distance. I hear a lot of people asking for antennas that are good for, you know, 40 miles or 50 miles. It's not necessarily about the distance because there's a lot of factors that have to be taken into consideration. Like where I grew up at. Yeah, I was 35 miles from the broadcast towers, but I couldn't get anything because of the terrain. You really need a deep fringe antenna While Someone in California may be okay with a smaller antenna at 50 miles. So, uh, again, there's just so many factors to consider. But at the root of it, you know, just mainly like a smaller antenna is good for like, you know, suburb. And if you're in like a rural, more woodsy area, you definitely need like a medium to large size antenna.
1: And so it's not just the terrain either. As you said, trees can have an impact. Anything that can get between you and the signal, I think, could be could be a problem.
0: Absolutely. And a lot of people who have indoor antennas, I'll look at the neighbor's house when they sign up for my service and I'll see, you know, where it is in respect to the broadcast tower. So if their houses are very close together, I tell them to go more towards the front of the house where there's a better signal path. And trees, yeah, trees will impact the signal, especially on windy days. In strong signal areas, it's not too much of an impact. In fair to weak signal areas, it's definitely more of an impact, depending on how many trees you have. And I almost want to say, like, every time there are trees around your house, you almost want to go one step up with the antenna that you would normally need. So, for example, if you're in a strong signal area with a small antenna, if you have trees, you want to go with medium antenna. If you're in fair to weak, you want to go with a large instead of a medium. You want to go, like, one step up to help with the signal fluctuation as the trees blow in the wind, because they're just gonna like, like, you know, fluctuate the signal. So you really want an antenna with more surface area, more gain to help keep the signal stable.
1: And in the Hartford area, so what we have where I am is is, uh, WTNH is to the west, and then the Hartford stations are to the north, but a little too far away. Um, and then we've got some on uh, going to the east. So it's and we've got the Long Island stations coming from the south. So there's there's no there was no one way to point the antenna. And I guess there are unidirectional antennas, but they never in my experience they never worked as well. Um, but I guess every situation is different, right?
0: Yeah. So what I always like to tell people is a lot of people try to go with omnidirectional antennas because they see towers in different locations or they're between markets and they're like, oh, you know, a multi-directional antenna is better than a directional. Uh, The fact is, more multi-directional antennas don't have as much gain for weaker signals. They usually only work well in in strong signal areas. So what I always tell people, and I've done consultations in pretty much every single market, the majority of areas have the major ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox stations in one main direction. And you really want to focus the antenna at, at, at those towers. And whatever else you get, you may see towers in other directions. You may still get them fine. You know, all antennas have a game gain patter, gain pattern that will get signals from the side or the back if they're strong enough. And unique areas like Hartford, San Diego, um, I forget what else there is, Harrisburg, where they do have stations in different markets, What I usually look for is I look up the reception report and whatever the weaker stations are is where I point the antenna towards because a stronger signal, if that would be WTNH for you, should be strong enough to come in from the back. And if it isn't, the other options are to use a TV tuner and try to point it between the sets of towers to see if you can get all of them in one spot and half the time you can. And if you don't, the other option is, you know, two antenna setup or rotator.
1: And it might vary in the winter versus the, the summer too, right?
0: That is correct too. Um, so, leaves on the trees can impact usually UHF signals, which is where most TV stations broadcast on, not as much VHF, and, and there are some areas where they'll get seasonal channels or just in general, reception is worse in the summer than it is in the winter. It also has a lot to do with humidity. Humidity can Im- impact the signals, so on hot, humid summer days. It's not to say you won't get signals when there's leaves on the trees or you know when it's humid out. All it means is that you want to get like a slightly better antenna, grab as much of this signal as possible. It doesn't mean you need a monster antenna, just so when there's signal fluctuation, you still have reliable reception.
1: I know some people have some restrictions in their HOAs, and there's laws against restricting certain types of antennas uh, by by federal mandate. But um, if somebody did not want to hang an antenna off the side of their house, I guess the attic would be something they could consider, right?
0: Yeah. So um, one common misconception about the attic is that it's just not going to work. The truth is, if you're in a fair to strong signal area, an attic antenna can actually work pretty well. Uh, The advantage of the attic is you can try different locations for the antenna to get the best reception. While outside, you're limited to maybe the eave of the roof, you know, a certain spot. Of course, there is a little bit of, um, you know, signal loss when in the attic. But if you, as I said, if you have fair to strong signals, most people do tend to have fair to strong signals, Uh, the attic antenna should be fine. Um, and, and a lot of people also ask me, what's the best attic antenna? I want to make it clear that there's no such thing as an attic antenna. You can place any antenna in the attic. And it's usually better to place a higher gain outdoor antenna in the attic than a small antenna that's marketed as an attic antenna.
1: Right. Because you have some, you, you are purposely putting something in between the signal and that antenna by just putting it in the attic with with some wooded or whatever in between, right? So that that's going to impact it. Um, You mentioned earlier about sensitivity of the tuner, and I don't think a lot of people think about this, but if I'm going out to, let's start with the TV. If I go out and buy the cheapest television possible, its tuner may not be as good as a more expensive TV.
0: That's very correct. So tuner sensitivity, like radios, a lot of people who listen to radios may understand that some radios will pick up more radio stations or pick them up better than others. The same rule applies to TV sets. And what I've noticed is the cheapest of the cheap TV sets, it's not to say they're not going to work, but tuner sensitivity tends to be worse in them. So if you have a weaker weaker signals in your area or not the best antenna setup, what may happen is you may get less channels or, or less reliability with a cheaper TV set. I've noticed just on the top of my head some, some TV brands that aren't the best include like Insignia, the best buy brand, Dynex. Um, TCL is not the best. And it's not to say that they are bad. A lot of people use them; they're totally fine. But you got to keep that in mind if you are in a weaker signal area or are using an antenna and get some dropouts. The better TVs tend to be Samsung, LG, and Vizio because they're name brands. And I think someone said that either um, Sony, not Sony, um, either uh, LG or Samsung had a certain patent on their tuner, and they they're like the best of the best. I've installed antennas in a house where I, I kid you not, I plug in an antenna, you know, through the coax into my tuner and it's not getting the station like well at all, it's just breaking up, it's nothing. Then I plug in the Samsung and it's totally fine. And I'm like, that's really amazing.
1: So it really is something where the TV can just pull that signal out of the noise a little better perhaps than a cheaper one can. So the, the, the tuner quality uh, makes, makes a big difference. And, and how do people, in, 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 for the most part, are people trying to connect to one television? Or are they trying to connect the whole house you know, do you recommend network tuners over just tuning with your television and getting splitters? What What's the, the best way to go for that?
0: Yeah, so it all depends on your house setup and of course your skill level. Um, a lot of people who use indoor antennas only use like an indoor antenna on one TV, that's totally fine, or an antenna on each TV set. When you have an outdoor antenna, typically if you have multiple TV sets, it's best if you're hardwiring the antenna. So usually what you wanna do is you wanna tap in the antennas coax, the existing coax in your house, course, keeping the modem separate um, to your internet. And you want to have some kind of amplifier, whether it be a preamp before splitter or a powered splitter. Because if you don't have any amplifier, you just plug an antenna into an unpowered splitter, it's going to kill your signal. And you mentioned a network tuner. That is another great option for people who don't Understand, you know, how to, if they, or if it's hard to run a cable to where the the coax is in your house, or it's just too complicated. Network tuners like the Tableau and the HD Home Run are great options, almost work as wireless tuners, because all you have to do is connect the antenna to that tuner and then to either your Wi Fi or Ethernet. And then every TV set in the house, if it has a streaming device like a Roku or Fire Stick, can access that tuner and the over the air channels without having to run wires to each TV set.
1: And you can put that tuner right close so you could even put the tuner in the attic and then run some network cable from the attic down and now you've got everything has the same signal strength so i guess on a, on a splitter when you split a signal you're literally splitting the power of that signal and if you've got splitters all over the house like i do the signal is pretty much dead by the time it gets to anything so yeah that, that is that correct a issue. yeah so, so the amplifiers might be important and, and and then we also see there are pre-amplifiers for antennas how do those come into play So preamps,
0: some people don't understand how they work, I didn't when I first got them, but they come in two parts. There's one part that goes up at the antenna and another part is a power inserter that gets installed somewhere in the house. What the power inserter does is it sends power through the long coax cable that goes up to the preamp on the antenna and powers it basically is an amplifier at the antenna and you don't have to run, run electricity outside. A lot of people will ask me, they're like, oh, I don't have a, an extension cord outside. How do I power the preamp? And I always have to tell them, no, that's that's not how it works. It comes in two parts. You know, the preamp portion gets connected to the antenna with a short cable outside. And then the power inserter gets connected before any splitter somewhere inside it. And it almost sends power backwards through that long cable you have from the antenna to the inside of your house. And it's, it's very amazing how it works because what that does is that amplifies the signal almost at the source. Now, for a lot of people... A power splitter is, a, is sufficient, so you don't necessarily need a preamp up at the antenna. One disadvantage of a preamp is if it fails down the road, you have to go back up at the antenna or replace it. So you don't want to bargain hunt if you are getting a preamp. Like Stick with like Channel Master or Televis. Don't, don't get a bargain hunt Walmart brand because then you'll be back up on the roof in a matter of time. <laughs> but, um, yeah, both are really good options.
1: And sometimes, though, an amplifier can amplify the noise in addition to the signal.
0: That is a yes. So a lot of people just assume they want an amplified antenna, boosters, all this amazing stuff. And, And the truth is that sometimes an amplifier will make reception worse. If you have strong signals or if they're right above the noise floor, so this may sound crazy, but if they're very weak right above the noise floor, adding an amplifier increases the noise a little bit. Yes, it increases the gain, but it also increases the noise floor and that can wipe out some very weak channels. It's not to say that amplifiers are bad, but I always tell people try an antenna both with and without an amplifier. You know, check reception with it, check it without and compare the results. One thing I always recommend in case uh, an amplifier does make reception worse is to use a good quality cable. You don't want to go to Walmart and buy the cheapest cable or use a cable that came with a junk antenna on Amazon. You want a thick, high-quality RG6 quad shield cable because that will protect the signal. It's almost like preventive maintenance. It RG6, pro- protect- uh, can you repeat
1: that again? Is it was an RG6 what kind of cable? RG6 quad shield. Now,
0: dual shield quad is shield. okay, too. I'm not mm-hmm. going to lose sleep if someone has a dual shield cable. Mm-hmm. But if you have a cheap, one of those cheap white cables that will move on their own when you just go like that, they just yep. kind of flop around,
1: right. those
0: ones are not good. And a lot of times... People make the mistake where they buy a junk antenna on Amazon, like the one with the built-in rotator, and it comes with a junk coax, and they don't realize it's junk, so they replace the antenna with a better antenna, but since they have that junk cable that they kept up, it's, white cables are usually bad, too. They're not UV-resistant, so you want a black uh, RG6 quad or dual-shield cable.
1: And so you need a UV-resistant cable, one that's rated for outdoor use, um, quad-shielded to keep the noise out, right, and... and- and install it properly, obviously, and, and you should have a lot of years of, of life out of it. Um, we're, we're seeing, you know, you mentioned earlier about the fact that when the digital transition happened in 2009, um, things got more difficult for you as a, as a TV watcher to bring signals in. I remember as a kid, I'm a little bit older than you, my, my father would have me go into the closet and adjust the rotator on, on the Yagi antenna we had on the roof when he wanted to change channels. And, um, you know, we could often watch some really far away stations with a little bit of static. Uh, digital is a lot uh, less forgiving in that it needs a good, strong uh, symbol quality, I guess, in order for the digital signal to come through. Um, how challenging has digital been for cord cutting and in, in, in what you do?
0: So for the average cord cutter, the digital transition really hurt a lot of people because analog was a lot more forgiving. You could have you know, a small set of rabbit ears and have some static. And you could see the signal change as you adjusted the rabbit ears. With digital, you either have it or you, or you don't. The fact is that the FCC, when they sold a chunk of TV spectrum to cell phone companies during the digital transition, they cut the power levels of TV stations by 25 or even 10 percent or in some areas. Or rather, you know, a fifth of the power or a tenth of the power. Like, they really set the power limits low because they didn't want the TV stations to interfere with each other. So in the analog days, yeah, you used to get like a lot of -of out-of-market stations. That's no longer the case. Some people are lucky, others are not. But um, yeah, the the issue a lot of cord cutters have with the digital transition is they have no no guidance of what signal they're getting. What they do is they, they put up an antenna, run a channel scan, hope for the best, and then move it around, run another channel scan. And that Creates madness in my in my opinion. What you really need is is like a signal meter to see what you're getting on the antenna and understanding what signal levels you have. Because you may get a crisp a crystal clear picture on all this all the channels, but that doesn't mean you have a good signal level. And um, the cheap uh, thirty dollar digital converter boxes that they sell on Amazon they have a signal meter if you press the info button twice. And I always try to preach, especially with an indoor antenna that moving an antenna as low as a few feet can have a huge impact on reception. And most people don't understand that they really have to have some kind of tool to see what they're getting, as opposed to just moving an antenna around. But um, as we'll probably talk in a few minutes, the advancement of ATSC 3.0 may... Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Solve some of those issues.
1: And you made a good point there that you don't need to go out and buy some fancy piece of, of, of metering equipment. You can get the cheap tuner that you'll probably need anyhow. And that device will give you enough to to make your adjustments from.
0: Correct. And some TVs even have a signal meter built in under a hidden menu. So if you have, I believe Samsung and LG have them. If you own a TV, well, obviously, probably all of you own a TV, (laughs) look up the brand and type in like signal meter on Google. And you may find like a secret menu to access a signal meter right built into the TV set. And if your TV doesn't have a signal meter, most probably don't, as I said, if you get one of those $30 digital converter boxes, they have a signal meter that's so helpful. It's so helpful and it's so critical. There was one time I installed an antenna and I left it at home and it was so tr- so much trouble. I actually went back to my house and got this t- the signal meter because I was like, I don't know what I'm getting. I see that you have the signals, but I can't tell what they are and I'm not going to leave and just hope for the best.
1: That's a neat hack, though, too, that you can just buy a cheap tuner and, and, and then have something that can actually work over the long term to get TV into the house. So that's, a, that's a, neat, a neat trick there. So, yeah, so ATSC 3.0, it's also known as next gen TV. I'm very excited about it because where I live, I was, I was too far from two of my networks to get them at all. Um, it was just, I just couldn't, no matter what I did, I could not get them. Perhaps if you came over, you could probably <laughs> figure out a way to get it, but, um, but just couldn't get it. Um, so what's happened in, in my state here in Connecticut is that all of the major networks are now on the same tower and on the exact same frequency. So this, this notion of picking the right antenna for me is going to be a lot simpler because they're all coming in from exactly the same spot. Who knows what happens if that tower ever gets blown down in a hurricane or something. But for now, it, it, it's just all there. Um, I put up an antenna on my ham radio thing. And, and you know it's a tripod that goes up about to the roof line. And it was, it was like that. It just all came in. Uh, is, is this working differently than the prior digital uh, system that we were using or the one that's currently out there? Because it seems to me that it's coming in better than it does off of the traditional digital ATSC signals.
0: So, yeah, ATSC 3.0 is a huge improvement to the current digital tra- digital TV standard we use in the United States. What most people don't realize is what we're using over the air for like 99.9% of us was developed in the 1990s. Now, a lot of things were different in the 1990s. There wasn't the best technology Uh, And obviously what they perfected at the time was really good, but it's very fragile and there's limitations in terms of, you know, bandwidth and picture quality. And an ATSC 3.0 is an updated version of of that standard, which frankly we should have had in the first place. And, And what they're trying to do is they're trying to push it in certain markets where there is enough room free space to to launch it. Unfortunately, some markets where there were just too many TV stations that sold out in the FCC 3 pack like New York City and Philadelphia, they don't have ATSC 3.0 on the air because a whole TV frequency has to be used to launch it, and if there's no space it makes it pretty tricky. It's not to say it won't take place in those areas, it just is a lot more tricky. And and as and as you mentioned, they're all on the same tower, so that makes it easier to pick up. If you get one channel, you usually get them all course there's different like layers and other technical things um but it's a vast improvement i actually made a video on my youtube channel demonstrating it in pittsburgh and i drove around and i'm moving in my car one tv tuner with atsc 1.0 current standard and the other tuner on atsc 3.0 and atsc 3.0 3.0 was solid the whole time moving around and even when i was 80 miles away i picked up the 3.0 signal now there's a lot of different factors that are involved in atsc 3.0 it's not just one standard—that's what they're broadcasting, and they can do different layers. And what that means is there's an inverse relationship with how far the signal goes and how good the picture quality is. So some networks are choosing to have a, a much ro- more robust signal at 720p, while others are having a signal that don't travel as that doesn't travel as far, but it's 1080 or you know even 4k in some situations.
1: And I guess if they go to the 4k, it uses a lot more bandwidth. So you know, I, I know in my case the the, the, the four or five networks that are on a single frequency probably could not all be broadcasting 4k on that frequency. So is it likely we'll see more 4k over the air or is it more likely we'll see lower resolutions with more channels?
0: That's a good question. And, and I just want to also make a clear we're in the very, very, very early stages of this thing. So there really isn't any really, there isn't much 4k over the air. The only 4k that's available over the air is like a paid over the air TV service in, in Idaho, um, but if, you're, if you have ATSC 3.0 in your area, it's usually up-converted 720 or 1080i. Even if it's broadcasting at 1080p, it's taking the old over-the-air signal and just upconverting converting it. But in the long term, there will definitely be better picture quality because the way you can stretch ATSC 3.0, you almost have four times the channel capacity. And right now, we can fit you know two or three high-definition channels on one RF channel. Uh, with ATSC 3.0, we can do even more. And and what they can do is they can have one like not as robust layer uh, of broadcasting 4K, and then one very robust layer that would be 720p and even 480. You know the standard definition subchannels would look a lot better because the uh, the video encoding the whatever codec they use is a lot more efficient and won't show that that compression artifact that you get on um, the current TV standard.
1: Yeah, I was I was amazed by just how much better it looked. Even though the source video coming in was likely being you know converted from 1080i or whatever, it just looked better. Um, and really, it's because MPEG2 was the standard that they were operating with for the last 20 years, and that standard was was pretty old when they adopted it. Right, so I, I was watching MPEG2, you know. 25 years ago on my my computer. So moving to HEBC has been a a big difference, and it's exciting to see where this might go. Now, one of the things you cover on your channel beyond just using your antenna uh, is some of the things around broadcast TV that have been out there. Um, Obviously, the the whole nature of, of how we consume visual content is changing rapidly, and we're seeing people dropping cable connections. They are putting antennas up but the, the, the business model for a lot of these stations involves charging cable companies for subscribers. Are you concerned at all that, that we may have all this great technology and nothing to watch?
0: Yeah, no, that's a very good question. And my prediction is uh, you're starting to notice it now um, as TV stations, big networks, ABC, NBC, CBS and Fox as people cut the cord, they technically lose money because they make money on retransmission fees from cable and satellite services. If you guys don't know that, just look it up real quick and you'll understand it. What they're slowly doing is they're slowly moving more valuable content from the free over the air broadcasts to their paid service. So uh, NBC just announced Days of Our Lives is going from, you know, it was on the air for I think 40 or 50 years, is now only going to be available on Peacock. And and they're slowly doing it. Now, I don't think it's going to be a wasteland. But it may end up being that, you know, if there's enough money going around with the NFL that you may not see many NFL games on on free over-the-air TV because the the fact is it's based around money. You know, these networks are multi-billion dollar networks and they don't necessarily care about the average over-the-air viewer. One saving grace, though, that I discovered is that free over-the-air TV is a market in itself. So they're not necessarily going to try to destroy it to get people to go to cable or satellite because if you use an antenna... You're not going to cable or satellite. You're just that's what you use. Use an antenna. If broadcasters lose you, their their ratings go down, and potentially the ad revenue goes down. So it's a it's definitely a challenge to uh, from them to balance the two. Um, I personally predict free over-the-air TV will be very good for you know several years to come. Now twenty years down the road, as they slowly move valuable content off their over-the-air stations and on their apps. It may just be, you know, reruns, local news, and, and cheap programming, but it's still free and it's good entertainment. And I really hope that um, a lot of times there's collisions involved if if there's corruption between like the NFL and big sports and big media companies trying to, you know, squeeze money out of people. There would be who would rebellion. Have, who would think they would do such happens. a thing,
1: <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah.
0: Right. But well, one of the one of the things I'm very happy about is my YouTube channel is almost like an army of 200,000 people. So if these networks try to pull any of this crap. I will easily, you know, back these people up and start doing something. Like I'm waiting for them to do something, and I'm like, okay, if you guys do something, like I'm going to have a lot of people. That I'm going to tell you tell what you're doing, and you're going to get some issues. You know, boycotting advertisers and stuff like that. Like I know how a TV station works. I've worked in a TV station, so I know how to hurt them.
1: <laughs> right, and you know, you know where all the bodies are buried too, right? It's uh, and, yeah. you know, one of the things that I, I've discovered about this passion is that. Um, there's a lot of passion out there for this activity of bringing in over the air television some of it's sticking it to the man right but some of it's actually um, just about the antennas in general so in my video that i did a couple of weeks ago um, i put that antenna up on my ham radio tripod i was one of the antennas direct ones and boy did i get some feedback from everybody that's not the one you should use you got to use the televis. The, the antenna man says so everybody to a to a person was telling me the antenna man says this um, so and again I, I think it's important to point out that there's no right antenna um, but you did uh, quickly give us a few antennas that you did like. Can you, can you elaborate a little bit more on, on what you think are the top antenna brands right now, knowing that you need to pick the right version of that antenna for your particular situation?
0: Yeah, so the, the top antenna brands, with the exception of you know Televis, are, are familiar ones, ones that you you know the name. So Antennas Direct is kind of a newer one. Um, Channel Master, WineGuard, RCA. And, and Televis is a new company. They're originally from Spain. But they are a really good company, and they're one of the only companies innovating antennas. It's not to say that every situation a Televis antenna is going to be the best, but you may not know the name. They're pretty good. Um, and, and that's what everybody thing was thing telling
1: I- me, by the way, was Televis was like, that's the one you got to get. And, and they have a lot of different types of antennas, too. So it's not just a simple pick the Televis. It is, depending on, on your situation, the right Televis for that particular uh, situation. Is that right?
0: Yeah, and there's also a lot of other factors to consider. I'm sure a lot. There are some people that are almost like use antennas like as like muscles, and they want you to have the biggest and baddest antenna out there. Like, oh, you only got the ClearStream antenna. The fact is, ClearStream antennas perform well. You know, they perform well in fair to strong signal areas, and they're very low profile. Every antenna company has their advantage. You know, ClearStream tends to be more low profile and great for suburb and and you know um, and uh, urban areas. Um, Antennas Direct is, well, yeah, clear stream, And then Channel Master is better for more rural areas with low VHF, same with WineGuard. And then Televis is more for, like, areas with high VHF and UHF. Uh, so it, it gets so complicated. If any of you guys have followed you know, our talk, the whole show, um, there are just so many factors involved. And I always love it when someone says, oh, I got the antenna, you recommended it, and it didn't work. And I'm like, I, rev- I, I, cannot rec- I cannot just say this antenna, I will never say that this antenna is the best model for absolutely everyone. You really have to look in your
1: situation. Right, so you're gonna need to find the best antenna for your situation as opposed, there's no the best. Right? And, and one of the things I've learned in my, in my amateur radio adventure that I'm on is that um, there's a million ways to make an antenna, uh, to do different things that you are looking to do on certain frequencies in certain ways. And, and even in that world, there's no right way to do it. So it's, it, it, it varies you know, quite a bit. And one of the things that I love about your channel and probably one of the more entertaining aspects of it is all the crap out there that you get into review. Tell us a little bit about how much crap is out there and, and you know what people should be steering away from.
0: Yeah, so it's funny. When I first started my channel, I was reviewing good antennas because I thought, you know, people need to see the good antennas. And then I realized that, wait a second, like I reviewed one bad antenna and it's actually my highest rated video on YouTube. I was like, wait a second, these Chinese companies that have bad antennas, like they actually reach a lot more people and a lot more people are looking them up and looking up reviews. So what I actually did like about a year or two ago, is I started targeting these junky antennas. I started buying them on Amazon and reviewing them. I noticed they got a lot more views because what happened is um, a lot of foreign companies are manipulating the search algorithm on right. Amazon. They're mm-hmm. paying people to you know give them reviews or give them a free product, and what that does is that bumps up their antennas on the search results to the point the average person looks up HD antenna on Amazon and it's just all flood with horrible antennas. I'm not just saying like basic antennas with five star absolutely. reviews,
1: right? Like what yeah. the heck is that about? Right. That,
0: that that that's what's so sad. And I really wish the um, Federal Trade Commission, and Amazon would do something about it. I reached out to Amazon for a comment. They didn't respond back. Um, it might be out of their control. But um, yeah, what you really have to look for is build quality. Don't just base it off reviews, because the thing about reviews is the average person can get a bad antenna, plug it in, see, uh, you know, being a strong signal area and just say, oh, it's a great antenna because I get 40 channels. Well, yeah, you live five miles from the broadcast tower, so you know, the, way it. to yeah, compare antennas- put a paperclip
1: out there and get it better.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, paperclip. I've gotten TV yeah. stations with a paperclip. Like, you really got to look at comparison of other antennas. So if someone says, you know, I got the, the Clearstream 4 V and it worked better than, you know, Clearstream 1V or whatever it was, that's really what you got to look at. You cannot go by the ratings because I kid you not, a lot of them are fake. People will get, and, and if you buy a junk antenna on Amazon, I've seen it too. They have a little piece of paper that says, "Give us a five-star review, and you get a free gift, or you know, a free antenna." And, and people are inclined to do that. And, and, and the thing is, like most people, just don't understand how to review antennas. They get a junk antenna, and it works. It seems to work well, but they don't think about the reliability of it. And and it it just screws things up. So as I said, definitely stick with the main antenna companies: Channel Master, WineGuard Antennas Direct, Televis RCA. It's not to say a generic antenna won't work. There are a few ones out there that are okay. They typically are the ones without the built-in amplifiers, the ones with the built-in amplifiers. The problem with them is if the amplifier fails, uh, you lose all reception. The exception is Televis Telvis mm-hmm. actually designed their antennas with the amplifiers to pass through the signal. So if the amplifier got disconnected or something, you still get the signal. That is so valuable. And I, I don't understand why no other antenna company has done that yet. But, um, you know, they've done that.
1: And then if somebody had contracts with you to go through your, your recommendation service, you're going to look at their situation. You're going to give them a recommendation of an antenna, how to hook it up. What, what, what do people get when they, when they do that with you?
0: Yeah. So when they sign up to to my service on my website, uh, I run the reception report. I take a look at the frequencies. I even look at the tree coverage uh, around their house on Google Maps. And I recommend the antenna. I tell them where to point it. I take into consideration how many TV sets they're hooking up because you can have the best antenna. But if you don't hook up the appropriate amplifiers to connect multiple TV sets. You can mess up your, your reception. So mm-hmm. I tell them what ans- what amplifiers they need. I give them tips on how to get the best reception, you know, TV tuner, signal meter options. Um, and I also am there for support. So most times I give someone the anti-recommendation. I get feedback saying that like, oh, this works so much better. I get all the channels. We actually finally cut the cord. But every so often, you know, the fact is I do get Get you know follow-ups that say, hey, you know, I haven't gotten ABC or I can't get NBC reliably. What do I do? And I give them troubleshooting tips, and and like almost every time, I'm able to resolve it. And so I didn't think I would have been able to when I first started the service. I thought that, well, you know, I may know my stuff, but you know, there are just so many other factors. But when you deal with, you know. 10,000 of these consultations, you start to notice trends and mm. you get feedback of someone tried one antenna, didn't work for this, but this antenna worked for that. And, and Really what my services does is it gives a, a person cutting the cord the best chance at successfully doing it. Otherwise, they may spend hundreds of dollars on antennas that don't work and hours wasted going up on the roof and everything
1: right and it's and it's really I think the fact is that you have that experience and you're you're dealing with something that that is is very much something that you you just can't go in blind with you'd really need to go in and have the what all the different things that you had to try and fail with uh to be able to help people find the best solution where they are so it sounds like uh it's probably something people may want to do just because you can't just buy the best antennas we talked about and just put it up and see what see what happens there. What do you think is going to happen next? We talked a little bit about you know, where ATSC 3.0 is going. Uh, cord cutting is certainly becoming more popular, not less. Uh, what do you see the next five years being like?
0: Yeah, so I see um, ATSC 3.0 um, launching in more areas over the next five years, and there being more available tuners. The, the issue with ATSC 3.0 right now is there's very little affordable tuners out there. They're either in high-end TV sets or I think the cheapest one is the HD Home Run. That's about $200. And for a person, a lot of people who use antennas are seniors on fixed incomes. They really can't afford that. And it's okay for now because the current TV signals are not going anywhere for probably at least 10 years. That's my prediction. This is going to Um, be both for
1: 10 years until everything gets, gets figured out. So I guess if you have a TV right now that doesn't have an ATSC3 tuner, you're okay for a while.
0: Oh yeah, you're you're totally mm-hmm. fine. I mean, this is almost like 1995 like with HD TV. Mm-hmm. You saw a few people got the big HD TVs because they wanted to be early adopters, but didn't really take off until 10-15 years later. And there's also bugs with the new standard. Like it's not, it's actually not fully developed yet. They're still tweaking things. So a lot of people who buy, you know, an ATSC 3.0 tuner, it doesn't have sound or there's syncing issues. Like we're we're in the very early stages. And I try to tell people who are investing in ATSC 3.0 tuner, there's only really really like two reasons to do it is if you're a technological like nerd like me, and you just want to witness this new standard before everyone else, that's the reason to do it. Or if you're in a heavily wooded area, and you have issues with the the, the the leaves blowing on the trees on windy days, the standard's more robust. You really got to verify that it's on the air in your area because it's not in every single area. But I personally predict that if you if you want to say five years, I'm going to look back at this in five years, there's going to be more ATSC 3.0 stations on the air. They might not have that much content, but it's going to be more available in like certain areas, and the tuners will be more available. So people who may be in a situation like you were where you couldn't, so you were in the Hartford area, right? Or the yeah. Connecticut area? I'm,
1: I'm far south, so all the Hartford yeah. was a little too, just a little too far away to get anything.
0: Yeah, the advantage of ATSC 3.0 is also in areas like where you are, where there's towers in different locations like WTNH, I know pretty much every area by now. Uh, <laughs> WTNH has a broadcast tower that's more south than all the other major networks. So Mm -hmm. a lot of people in those situations, another one is, as Harrisburg has that, San Diego has it, where they're just in different locations. Um, It makes it tricky to get all the stations. And with ATSC 3.0, because they can piggyback and hop on one main RF channel, uh, you can get them all as long as you point it. Like It really improved coverage for people in the immediate Hartford area. I know that for a fact, people consult me, and I noticed that WTNH was weak and I said, you know, you get a new antenna or you can get an ATSC 3.0 tuner. The issue we have right now is just that there's not much available. It's pretty expensive. In five years, there will be a lot more options. There'll probably be little converter boxes for like $50 you can hook up. Uh,
1: Before we close out, are there a few websites that people should look at if they wanted to try to do this themselves, if they feel like they have the ability to to figure it out?
0: Yeah, so if you're a do-it-yourselfer, obviously my YouTube channel, I have a lot of reviews. Um, Reception analysis websites include RabbitEars.info, and the FCCDTV reception maps. AntennaWeb.org is one a lot of people use too, but I I don't trust that one as much anymore because I notice it really underestimates the channels you can receive. Like for example, it says I can only get 10 channels, but I can get like 50. And it's not that I have a crazy antenna set up. They, their model is just to, to be very, very conservative with what the people can get. But I told him, I was like, that's sometimes, you know, misinformed, you know, people misinterpret as they won't get any channels. So because of the crappy FCC, antennas
1: out there that, that, that
0: for me. That, that's marketplace. That's probably why, why, why they are doing it. But, you know, I, I always hate it when people say I can't get any signal because AntennaWeb.org said I won't get any channels. Uh, use the FCC DTV reception maps and rabbitears.info. And if, I, if you want to narrow it down, strong signals, small antenna, fair signals, medium antenna, weak signals, large antenna, possibly with a preamp. And, um, you know, if you want, if any of you guys want to talk to me, you know, consult with me, I do offer a service on my website, My website is antennamanpa.com, which you can find also linked probably in the description of any of my videos, and maybe even Lon's video, um, where I offer that service. And I also have, you know, if you don't want to pay for the service, I also have a list of general recommended antennas. I really want to help everyone else out, you know, as much as possible. I just got to be, you know, mindful of my time. That's why I offer a service. Because if I offered it for free, I would, I would never leave my computer. I would get a yeah. million people asking for yep. it. And, and I offer a money back guarantee with it too. So literally, if they if I don't fix your problem, you get your money back, which doesn't happen often.
1: Great. Well, I, I know you're a good guy, and and you know the, the amount of passion that 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 the community around your content has has generated, I think, shows that um, you're approaching content the right way, which is honestly. Uh, doing objective reviews and, and really trying to help inform the viewer and the consumer about what's the best option for them. And in something like this that's very complicated, I think people can save themselves a lot of time by giving you a call or giving you an a email uh, through that consultation service versus trying to you know, buy a bunch of antennas and, and figure it out from scratch. So uh, I think you're doing great, a great service to the community. You're helping save people a lot of money, which I think is really important, too. Um, and I know that uh, you're very much appreciated out here. So I want to thank you for coming on the channel and uh, telling us a little bit about uh, what your background was with this. And it's really fun to hear because a lot of us techies, we've, we started as kids just trying to tinker around with stuff. And it's, it, it's that you know, that rinse and repeat kind of thing of figuring out what works versus what doesn't and remembering what didn't work and how you fixed it, uh, I think can lead to uh, quite a career. So for the young people out there, just keep spending time tinkering. You'll, you'll turn it into something.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I'm so thankful for the advancement of technology with YouTube that I can make a living off something I love, I'm passionate about, and can help people across the country really put $1,000 a year back in their pocket by not having cable or satellite. And, um, you know, if there's any younger individuals watching, I always just say, start posting content on YouTube. You know, I never thought that I would have, you know, 200,000 subscribers it's antennas I'm talking about, but you know, there are a lot of people in this world. And if you have, you know, passion about something, people are going to notice that. And you may, you know, have a good following. And if it's not a hobby, you could also, you know, make a living off it like we do. So.
1: Absolutely. And being honest is the best way to do it. It takes you, it takes you longer, but it, it's important, I think, to, to do it, do it the right way and, and not try to fleece people along the way. So, um, but thank you very much, Tyler, for joining us today. And I uh, really, actually, I learned a lot today, and I'm looking forward to uh, trying out a few more antennas <laughs> to find the one that's going to work uh, best in my situation. So, uh, check, check out the Antenna Man's website and his YouTube channel. We'll link to those down in the comments section. And until next time, this is Lon Sibin. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including gold level supporters Chris Allegretta Brian Parker. Hot Sauce and Video Games, Baby Metal Thoughts god. Tom Albrecht, Amda Brown, Matt Zagaya, and Tech Time with Eric. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. over to TV slash support to learn more and don't forget to subscribe visit lon.tv slash s